Welcome to Poet and Bangkok. I'm Donald Quist. And I'm Colin Chaney. Every episode, we hear the stories of dancers, musicians, party organizers, and drag queens. And Colin and I will try to piece together a larger story about making art and expressing yourself during this era of military rule in Thailand. On today's podcast, you'll hear an interview with Pan Nak Prasat, perhaps more famously known by his drag queen persona, Pangina Heels. Pan tells us about growing up as an outsider and how art and eventually drag taught him how to embrace self-expression. He talks about his disdain for the pomp and circus of the fine art scene in Thailand and what he wants his audience to experience through the art of his drag performances. He also helps us understand drag and the context of larger cultural norms and prejudices and explains why the term ladyboy is so offensive to Thais who identify as trans. So as we start out here, a few opening thoughts about how Pan's interview uh, echoed and complicated some of what we'd heard from other artists in previous episodes about making art here in Thailand. So in our last episode, uh, Note, Pang Suan, uh, an artist and party organizer, talked about how the dude suite parties that he put on responded to a certain elitism and nepotism within the Thai art scene. And this is something that Pan uh, really echoes and develops in today's interview, as you'll hear. Uh, while brash and abrasive and uh, sometimes politically incorrect, Penn's drag act doesn't seem to engage Thai politics directly, yet his stated desire to, to welcome the audience into this surreal world to perhaps better understand the real world of gender politics and social conventions, this suggests that his art is still rather transgressive and, and therefore, in that sense, political. So Penn's art perhaps is is closest to the physical theater performances of B-Floor, these performances that were meant, as uh, Poupe told us uh, in episode four, performances that were meant to make the audience feel and think things that they're perhaps uncomfortable feeling and thinking. Uh, and you might, if you've listened to previous episodes, you may remember how she uh, described at my request the kind of performance she would put on about the approaching uh, UFOs, the approaching whales, and how I did not like how she was wanting me to face my fears and uncertainties <laughs> right. in that. So it, got, it just got me thinking, as, as you'll hear in Pan's inter, uh, interview, maybe what it is that an audience member might be feeling uh, and thinking uh, as he's putting on this this arguably transgressive uh, show. Pan also did give us his own unique perspective on the on the whales uh, currently speeding toward Earth. Uh, from Mars, though, like many uh, people in Thailand, and uh, he seems to have his shit together about it, doesn't seem to be terribly worried, um, though he did have a cold, so maybe he's on a lot of cold medicine, uh, or maybe he's taking all the Prozac we've been talking about. I don't know. It's uh, He seemed to not be too worried. Yeah, not be too worried. Yeah, we've spent so much time on the show talking about Mars. <laughs> And all these things happening. And this week, it's just it's starting to pile up. It's coming to a head, you know, and I'm feeling myself getting increasingly angry. Like in this one week alone, we get another transmission. Yeah. And this time it's coming from these fucking objects <laughs> headed straight at Earth. 
So I've I've tried to play it cool, you know. I've I've done my best. Yeah, you have you know, not. You have not trying to power through, keeping your head down, focusing on work and making this podcast and writing. I've been taught and have internalized this idea that you just keep your head down, you just keep moving forward, you keep working through. Is that what your your parents gave you that? Yeah, you just keep working through, no matter what it is, just keep powering through to what's next. And now there might not be a what's next. People are freaking out all over the world. There are riots and protests. Japan, India, Venezuela, Uruguay, Uruguay, freaking Italy. They've imposed martial law. And I keep having this desire to go home. Um, Really? I don't know what I'd be going home to, you know. Like go back back to D.C.? Go back to America. For what? I don't know. Because they're going there, too. Because, yeah, these things, whatever they are, this is a global event. But in a time like this, you just feel this desire to to go, I guess, back to something that's familiar Mm -hmm. and safe. And so now my wife and I, we're fighting all the time about... Seriously? Yeah, we're fighting about, like, of course, she has that same desire. Right. She wants to stay here. Um, And I want to go. And... I don't know it's where really this hard. That's really hard, lead. dude. I mean, our our families want us to come home, um, and we haven't booked tickets yet. But we're not. But so like, yeah, what's we're not. We're not. Me? We're not. I don't know. I think there's. I think just this has become our home, and I think there's something about picking up and running back. That now for I don't know for some I don't maybe it's just like obstinacy or something. There's something about like like not for this fucking reason are we going to go home right you know what i mean okay. like yeah but it, i mean it doesn't it doesn't make any sense so like my wife and i are kind of on the same page about we both we both love our families and like we've actually kind of had a hard time being here in thailand each of us in our own way and like when i first came here i didn't really want to be here so you know you think like oh it's just per- you know obviously a great time to go home and like that's what our parents thought our families thought my brother and sister thought and like and they're like they're pretty angry at us like why would you yeah. stay why would you stay there why would you stay in that country given everything about this country, but also like yes. given everything that's going on, uh, you know, be with your. But I don't know, like I don't know, we'd go whether we'd go up to like our family home in Maine, you know, and just wait out the end there in the sort of picturesque, sort of filmic, you know, when are they going to arrive? Late March, you know, sort of the early late 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 winter, early spring, kind of melancholy place. Like, it's hard to explain. It's, but yeah, just this this anger that comes from it's frustration that comes from possibly being wrong about the way you've lived your life for so long Uh, yeah Yeah, so doing this podcast i did it because it helps me answer some questions yes but it allowed me to forget some some things and not think about them it's the same now (laughs) i'm doing this podcast to try to forget things so i don't have to think about them but now I know that I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. sort of pisses me off. So that, that sense of that sense of of knowing that it's a coping device rather than yes. just it's it's sort of like the way to approach problems right. rather than like it's a conscious way to avoid right. being overwhelmed by. Right, and then I get angry at myself because it's like, damn it, Donald, you should be stronger than that. Mm. Like, you're aware of it. Like, come on, man. 
but you know I like doing the podcast I guess uh, <laughs> I can't think of what else I can't stop these things coming throughout this podcast I've, I've been telling you you can't change it all you can do is focus on what's in front of you well what every time I look up in the sky I see these giant things coming I know they're there right. it's in front of me now yeah. And I can't do anything about it, but I can make this podcast, I guess. <laughs> so, and people keep coming on. People, you know, that is that is impressive. Yeah. It's it's amazing how. I guess it was only that one person didn't want to come on. And people keep listening. And people keep listening because they're just like us. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm finding this like fucked up experience of reading parenting blogs on the New York the parenting blog in the New York Times mm-hmm. about like how to talk to your kids about the whales, yeah. like how do you talk to kids about like what might happen. Because I have no idea. Right. I have daughters no, followed this. Yeah, like, I mean, she. I mean, she's followed the Mars stuff, stuff yeah. and like we still, we ha- yeah. we still have not actually talked to her about it. And I think, yeah. I don't know. I, it's hard. To, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, you mentioned the the protests, like some of the some of the protests and some of those break-ins and some of the the crackdown and the killing that has happened, ha- like it's happened to some of those telescope installations in Spain, but also in Arizona. And it was disturbing for me about Arizona because I. I visited Kitt Peak back when my brother was making making a film about the disappearance of stars because of light pollution from, from cities. And I visited Kitt Peak and I've been inside those telescopes. I've been inside one of the big telescopes where the protests were and where people were, were shot outside of them. So I've like stood on the ground where those kids were shot. And it's just, it's, it's just there's something about like those lo- locations as being a place of violence is also just like super, it's super hard to, super hard to wrap my head around. And, and meanwhile, like the harbinger, all the harbinger stuff just seems like this like buried subplot, you know. Yeah, it's just know, this like it's, it's just like we had the we had a great you know we tweeted the landing and like yeah. but, you know Seems like so long ago like yeah. you know like there is like something there is still like something a little bit joyful if they actually do find the harbinger one crew but like but I've been thinking about like those are four people four missing dudes. Meanwhile, everything that could happen here, you know, like if it's a world killer impact event or like something more fucked up with some alien business. And then meanwhile, like the, like the ties are also like are also freaking calm about it. You know, like I think that's adding to my anger and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Those dolls, you know, the look tip dolls like. You know these these expensive supernatural dolls that ties have become obsessed with recently, and like it doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. It doesn't seem like a coincidence that people are becoming super obsessed with these dolls at the time when all of this this stuff is is going on. So I, actually, I suppose that is probably our, our moment to say, Donald, hmm. what is the deal with spirits in Bangkok? You like that? That was a real nice segue. Yeah, that was good. That (laughs) was real good. Okay, spirits in Thailand. Spirits, ghosts are widely believed to be real. It is common to walk down the street each morning and see people offering food to local spirits. Many homes, uh, my wife's home included, most businesses have spirit houses somewhere on the property. These small houses vary in size and are intended to shelter spirits and keep them happy. Some include an altar where people can kneel in order to pay their respect. Erwan Shrine, the site of the bombing in August of 2015, which killed 20 people and injured 125, is one of Bangkok's most prominent spirit houses and attracts thousands of visitors each week. 
Thailand is very open to the supernatural and has inherited a lot of ghostly folklore from India, China, and neighboring countries like Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar. As a result, there are many varieties of ghosts, over a hundred. Some have their own individual backstories, while others fall into categories. Spirits are also a lucrative industry, and many make money selling items that specialize and cater to spirits like Joss paper, incense, amulets. Um, Bangkok has ghost-themed shopping malls. There are radio programs, magazines dedicated to ghost stories, and primetime ghost television shows are very popular. Movies about ghosts are probably the most popular theater releases in Thailand. I came across this quote from Thomas Fuller at the New York Times speaking on the ghost industry in Thailand. He said, quote, The belief in the supernatural ghosts and otherwise infuses daily life in Thailand. Ministers inaugurate their offices at auspicious times and powerful generals have been known to consult seers before a big decision such as launching a coup, a relatively regular occurrence in Thailand. Fortune tellers are consulted by everyone from business executives foregoing multi-million dollar deals um, to students facing uncertain careers and couples wanting to conceive. Thailand's political elites appear to be among the most superstitious, end quote. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a believer? UFOs seem to be real. So who who knows? And you know, as we'll hear in our in our interview in a, in a few minutes with Pan, he is he's a believer, and he he has a deep relationship with the spirits. And as he he says, until you really encounter it in a real way for yourself, until you're impacted by a spirit, you don't you don't tend to believe. But he has been, as he will as he will say. So I have not, to my knowledge, been impacted by the spirit realm. The spirit houses are beautiful. It's one of my favorite, yeah. it's one of my favorite aesthetic parts of Thai culture. Physically, they're beautiful. I mean, also just the variation with them. Some of them are in the the traditional Thai architectural styles. And then some of the like new malls and condos will have like glass and chrome and yeah. like little lights inside them. And the, you know, the offerings themselves are very beautiful. The oranges and yeah. the red Fanta and, and all of that. But when push comes to shove, some someone once said, some philosopher, poet, or somebody once said, like one of the saddest truths about existence is that you will never actually know what it is to be inside someone else's head. Mm. So I'll never know what it is really like to believe in a spirit, yeah. and, wh- and whether whether that's something actually I am capable of doing. And it's like, oh, I I feel that way yeah. about. I don't know what it would be, but you know, it, like I I just don't know. I don't know what that feels like to whether it's just like believing in gravity, which now, you know, with the um, the discovery just recently about the gravitational yeah. waves, you know, now like we, for a while, like people, we believed that gravity waves existed. They were theoretically possible, but now we actually have evidence yeah. of them, right? So yeah, I guess there are people that would say they have evidence of, they have scientific evidence of spirits, but I don't know. How about you? How about you? Are you, do you believe in them? I'm a believer. I want to believe. You want to believe. I want Why? to believe. Um, have you always or just recently? Just because of all this bullshit that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to believe in the existence of spirits. Like when, since you were a kid? Since I was a kid. I've always wanted to believe, but a part of me doesn't. And mm. 
one of the reasons why I chose to come here. I had visited Bangkok two times before, and here ghosts are real. Like, it's just real. It's just a fact. The idea of spirits, if they are real, it makes things a lot easier, actually. What do you mean? Because a lot that would mean a lot of the things that happen to you. Mm. Um, a lot of things that hurt or pain that you experience mm. can be explained by something beyond your control. Yeah. And if yeah. that's the case, it sort of makes things easier to deal with. Like, oh, that wasn't, that's because I didn't pay tribute to right. a spirit or I didn't, I didn't give the right offering. Right. So that, I don't know. So I want to. Yeah. When I was a kid, I don't know how old I was to have been, maybe seven or eight. I grew, up, I grew up in the Christian church, in the Episcopal church. Mm -hmm. The recently chastised Christian church, the Anglican church, is not happy that we allow the gays mm -hmm. to uh, be bishops and priests. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> So I grew up in the Episcopal church, and, and certainly now that we have been, look, look, I'm using we, the Episcopal church has, mm -hmm. has gotten critiqued for being as liberal as it is, it makes me more proud to be of that of that background. But my mom was very religious. She worked for the church. And at one point during my childhood, I remember she had the priest come to our house to to rid the house of ghosts. Oh wow. We've been living there for a long time and but she decided that she felt that there were ghosts in the house that needed to be Wow. Okay. Taken out of the house or asked to leave the house. So the priest came and I believe in, in my memory. Uh, How old he, you at this point? I don't know. I, I was like seven, eight, nine, maybe older. I don't know. I really don't remember exactly how old I was. But in my memory, he's wearing his, he probably wasn't. He was probably wearing like full black. He wasn't <laughs> wearing his full black. Yeah, exactly. We probably his collar. But he was a very, he was a very cool, very cool priest that, that sold blue-green algae in his spare time and, and played the 12-string acoustic guitar. Uh, but he came with, and I'm not going to remember the word for it now, I, sh I should have looked it up, and I'm just going to make the motion. It's like, it's the incense ball oh, that you... Oh, the swings. Yeah, yeah. the thing. Anyway, okay. so it's a ball full of burning incense, yeah. and he went through the house, the particular, I guess the particular rooms where my mom felt that there were ghosts, and he said some, I suppose, official yeah. words of of banishment. Yeah. And I don't know, I've carried that around with me. And just that I, my mom is both like, she's a deeply believing Christian and I envy her, mm. her faith, even though I don't fully under, understand it. And we've sort of debated and, but to believe so strongly that you have someone come with incense to do a ritual to get something right. out of your house. So it's, I don't know. So I, I, I don't know. There's a certain temptation in this kind of Richard Dawkins science first and, you know, faith is ridiculous in whatever form kind of contemporary liberal culture to just kind of absolutely dismiss these things. So there's yeah. a certain part, there's a certain part of me that I hear about, this, you know, spirit worship or the looked up dolls or yeah. the spirit houses. And I'm just sort of like, there's part of me that would be tempted to just be like nonsense, mm. but I can't. Right. And I don't know, maybe that is a weakness or maybe that's just, my lingering poetic, poetic. <laughs> why would you? Of, why would you call it a weakness? Well, because Richard Dawkins would say like that's just that's just it's just it's just hogwash and superstition that is holding somebody back from actually dealing with reality. You know what I mean? That like as you say, like yeah. if you can, if you can explain away your problems, yeah, yeah. if you can explain away your problems by by saying something is due yeah. to due to a spirit or not not paying tribute to a spirit or what have you, yeah. then you're not dealing with your problems or you're, or you're not dealing with reality.
and you don't understand the way that the universe is put together. <laughs> like hearing that story about ridding the house of ghosts, I one of the interesting like differences between ghosts in America and ghosts in Thailand. All ghosts in America are bad. Mm. You got to get them out of there. And then here, ghosts can be good. Mm. In fact, I would say the majority of ghosts are good. <laughs> but there's also one of my favorite ghosts. I think I'm, I might mess up the pronunciation. Her name is Peepop. Hmm. And she, I'm confused if she's a ghost or a spirit, but I know she's capable of possession. And so anytime you see a elder woman with like panda eyes and like dark eyes and she looks tired <laughs> and she's been possessed I see. by Peebop. I remember when I first moved here and I was trying to write poems about living here. Like I was trying, I was collecting data from all sorts of, I was reading about politics and history and architecture and food and the history of the food and collecting names of plants and various things. But I also was collecting, you know, yeah. I was collecting information about the spirit realm. And it was just, you know, by again, my sort of Western rational yeah. mind, you know, you sort of like get in there like, well, is it a spirit or is it a ghost? Yes. You got to, you know, yeah. you got to, you got to. Uh, we talked about we talked about these Luktep dolls, or I, I mentioned them before. And like, you know, there has been now this surge of people here in, in Bangkok who are buying these very expensive mm -hmm. dolls. They start at like $60 and they go up to something like six six thousand dollars yeah. i think for one of these dolls and they're they're and they're treated like children and they're but they're blessed they're supernatural and there's all sorts of been, been sorts of all sorts of event you know events around like airlines allowing them to yes. fly like you have to buy a ticket for it and have to sit you know allow it to sit in the seat next to you and you can't put it above in the luggage but now that's allowed for after somebody was found transporting mm. drugs uh, meth right. in one of them which angered a lot of uh look tap yeah Owners. Can I say owners? I don't. Parents. Parents. Yeah, look at parents. I don't know, man. It's just like again, it, the, it, you see something like that, and you see, and I see something like that, and I think to myself, that's insane. Mm. And then there's another part of me that's like that is just pointing towards some sort of deep, some human hurt or yeah. something is not aligned correctly. You know, like something like the world is not the, what you need it to be if you are adopting. A child, if you're adopting a doll yeah. and treating it that way. But I, I don't know. You, have you heard of these, what are they called? Gomantang or the, they're also called Golden Boy. Mm -hmm. It's one of the spirits that are worth, that you can leave things for at spirit houses. But they're, it's this really dark history to them. There's a, one of the most famous Thai pieces of literature. It's called Kun Cheng Kun Pen, and it, it's about the Uyutia period mm -hmm. of Thai history. And it's a, about these two men who are fighting over a, uh, a woman. And one of them, who has, I guess, another wife, has a minor wife, his, his wife dies while she's pregnant. And for some reason that I guess maybe is explained in the poem, he cuts out the, the child, the, the, the fetus, and um, burns it over a fire and covers it in gold and says a, has like a necromancer say some sort of spell on it and then uh, wraps it in gold foil and then wears it into battle wow. as a that happens in the poem but that shit actually happens like there are people that are arrested have been arrested at various points in the last couple of years like in 2012 I read there was a Taiwanese born Brit who was caught in customs here in in thailand taking six gold covered fetuses out of the country to sell 
And when you go to some of the temples, you can buy fake ones yeah. of these. There was also, in 2010, there was a huge bust on a crematorium that had all of these fetuses from abortions, which right, is yeah. um, uh, illegal, I believe. And you're not supposed to to cremate an aborted child, I gather. But some of these, I guess, were going to be potentially used in these in these rites. But yet, when you go to a spirit house, you can you can see these little plastic versions of the same spirit right. that is meant to give good luck, and you leave the red Fanta for him mm. for that for that spirit. So it's part of me like I mean that is fascinating, right? It's yeah. utterly fascinating, but also like it's super it's super. F- freaky and fucked up right like it's sort of hard to like it's depressing but then i have to say like i grew up taking communion every sunday where i was eating the body and drinking the blood of christ of christ and granted i don't really think there are very many sects of christianity that try to replicate that in any actual an actual way and it's just it's just sweet grape juice and yeah the most you'll get is like somebody buying like a nice loaf of bread and cutting it up. Otherwise you get the wafer. So like, I don't know. I try to check myself on it, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's thought and belief, man. I don't know how you, I don't know how you're supposed to square them. I don't know how you're, yeah. but your, but your wife. Yeah. She, she's is, actually is, not a believer. Pete has had two experiences where she saw what could have been perceived as ghosts. And when she was a young girl, um, her mother took her to a fortune teller and it was implied that Pete is open to spirits. Oh, wow. Um, so she's had these two incidents where she thinks she's might've seen ghosts, but she was able to explain it with, uh, just by sleep paralysis. Oh, wow. So like, uh, she woke up with a ghost on her chest one time, but that could have just been sleep paralysis. And she imagined it, but she does practice, uh, certain, rights that have been inherited in Thailand from China because their families have Chinese. Um, one of my favorites is Qingming, um, Tomb Sweeping Day. So every spring we go to where her grandparents have been laid to rest and we wake up her ancestors and her dead family members and we burn clothes and Toys and slippers made out of joss paper mm-hmm. to send right. them yeah. uh, to the spirit world, and I really like that. Yeah. Like, I really. No, it sounds I like really a beautiful. Like it. it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like when you're in that, yeah. but when you're in that moment, do you yeah. feel like? Do you feel like it's real, or do you, or do you feel like it's a you're you're participating in a beautiful ritual? Right. And that is just a beautiful ritual. There are times, there are like these brief moments where a part of me goes, "Okay, mm-hmm. this." This is real. Like this feels hmm. real, and then the the doubt and analytical right, yeah, exactly. comes back on. Yeah. It's like, no, no, that's paper. And then also another thing that keeps me probably from believing is knowing that there's so many people trying to take advantage yeah. of people's yeah, faith yeah, 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 for yeah, yeah. profit. And so, at the end of the day, when I burn these slippers to send to Pete's grandfather. I know there are, is a team of like people like planning this item that they can sell and like explain to people, oh, yeah, your, yeah. your dead ancestors will love these shoes. They need these shoes. You don't want your dead ancestor to be barefoot, do you? It's, it's like coercion, you know? Yeah. And so aspects like that also keep me from right. potentially believing in spirits. Yeah. The negative stuff. 
another thing is there are like hypocritical aspects of the of the whole spirit realm that kind of drive me crazy like um like you'll see spirit houses on a property for like the sex industry you know <laughs> right <laughs> dear spirits yeah help us exploit people today that's that's all we're asking just Help us get this done. Watch over us as we hurt people. Thank you. So that that kind of that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think you're right, though. It is the I think as I think about like some of the arguments. I mean, maybe not even arguments I've had with my mom about about Christian about Christian faith, but things that I've thought about myself and that probably keep me from keep me from it uh, from from belief, which is again. Again, it's probably just the analytic parts, but there's, there's just the, it's that sense that the belief that if you pray and if you pray truly, mm-hmm. then, um, then that can, some percentage of the time, bring you, you know, bring you good luck or bring you fortune or bring you health or whatever. But then you just have these events in human history where, where people were obviously praying, yeah. you know, like Rwanda people locked inside a church yeah. all no doubt praying yeah. and their prayer prayer was not answered and i know that the book of job deals with yeah. deals with this issue uh but but there's just something about there's something about that that just that sense of like if if there really were rules of the spirit realm if there really were rules of how sort of the relationship between actual human practice and something given back yeah. for it right then then fewer people would be burned alive in yeah. churches you know what i mean like it's just it's i don't know it's i don't think it's but then it's i don't know, it just makes me feel it makes me feel really uh really small when i think about it that way but mm. um yeah i don't know and as we say, there are these UFOs coming from outer space. And right. so, uh, which again, as I, th- I do think the Luke Tep dolls have something to do with. I think it's like yeah. you, at moments Our reaction. Of, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen the numbers of who's going to church. I should ask my mom if they're getting more people coming to, oh, yeah. to her church yeah. or not. But Or maybe just more people are going to the bar. But, um, speaking of bars. Speaking of yeah. bars, let's lift spirits. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's go... Do something a little bit lighter. Consol Pan in a production of Terrence McNally's The Lisbon Traviata at the Culture Collective Theatre Company in Bangkok. He was excellent in the play, which won Best Production by the International Association of Theatre Critics in Bangkok. And given his life as a drag queen and personality, we thought Pan would offer us a unique glimpse into Thai art and culture. We had a great time interviewing Pan at Rook Academy dressed in a t-shirt and jeans and nursing a cold, he looked unlike his flamboyant persona of pangina heels that is conjured on the stages of Maggie's Chews and Stranger Bar. But Pan provided a thoughtful, deeply felt, and often hilarious take on the life of an artist in Bangkok. All right, let's go to our interview view with Pan. charge tiger mom dragon mom i think let's call her dragon mom she flies in once in a while and goes off to feed on children yeah. 
That's how she is. <laughs> All right. So, so you and your mom, you're still close. Well, I mean, she's my mother. <laughs> I have to, right? But no, no, she's she's lovely. She's just um growing up. She's very difficult, and she wasn't very supportive of drag um in what I do in the beginning. But she came around to it once I um proved myself to other people, and that then that's the only time that she'll understand is when other people finally get you, and then the parents then finally accept it. Right. I don't get it. It's really funny, but <laughs> truth of the world, yeah, yeah. Were you into art as a kid? Like, were you? Oh my you god, that's and... the only subject that I was good at. <laughs> I failed in everything. Like, in a class of fifty-six kids, I think for maths I came out fifty-third. Like, it was really wow. bad. Like, I was a really bad kid in terms of school, and then the Asian gene hits, and I was like, oh my god, I have to be good at school. So, when I went to high school, then finally, um, I became quite good in school okay. after a long time. Um. But art was the only thing that came natural to me. I think it was because my grandmother was a painter. Oh, really? Yeah, but she... On your mother's side? or, or... On my mother's side. So um, in Taiwan? Taiwanese. Yeah. She was a, a, a crazy um, horse brush painter. You know, when they yeah. used to... Yeah, like insane, like really good. But then my mom was never supportive of it because um, she was a... The grandmother was a really um, famous artist. And then she had to go back to school because it was during the war. Oh, because okay. you know paintings don't sell during the war yeah, right. yeah do you guys have some of her paintings around the house we do we do like what sort of th- what sort of subjects she loved to paint um traditional chinese flowers and birds and she okay. can finish the whole painting within like 10 minutes like, bah, 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 bah. oh wow it's crazy that's yeah. beautiful so what type of art did you focus on when you were growing up i love drawing oh. because anywhere you go you can just draw i love to be pencil that's just my favorite medium even when i paint if it's just so two-dimensional and like my painting teachers were just like, oh my God, like you should stop painting. You should just continue to draw because <laughs> it just looked like two dimensional, you know? Was your, was your family growing up, was your family super Thai, super Taiwanese? Oh was God, it... they were super Chinese. Holy yeah. shit. Oh. Sorry. I don't <laughs> know if I can no, no, swear. No, no, no. Cuss, yeah, cuss away. <laughs> yeah, like the, one of the things that I remember the most is like when you go to a buffet, you don't eat the fried rice. You only eat the most expensive thing. And that's how I learned. <laughs> And that's why I was super obese when I was a child. Thank God. They were like so Chinese and cheap about it. They were just like, eat the salmon, eat the caviar. I don't care how much it, like, I don't care if it tastes bad. Just eat it, you know? <laughs> Chinese parents. So what What about your, like, Thai influence? Like, were you, I mean, obviously you were growing up in Thailand, so you were getting it, like, noise. Like, the noise next door yeah. in the, the rock studio. Like, do you feel like the Chinese influence won out or were you, did you feel like more Thai or more? Oh God, no. When I say Chinese, it's just a joke. Um, in terms of their mentality, my parents are very Chinese, but in terms of how I feel as a person, I'm pretty much super Thai. Okay. I only realized that when I went to LA to oh. school at UCLA and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm super Thai, like super Asian. <laughs> and then when I'm here, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so Westernized. So I'm always like, you know, like the Goldilocks of culture. Right. I mean, I, I don't know where I fit, but... Even when, when I was doing art, I always feel like this sense of being a Thai person. Yeah. And that's why I came back. I, I love LA, but oh God, Thailand's the best country. Holla. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, could you tell us about your experience uh, when you were in LA? Yes. Any very big differences? Oh God. That... I mean, let's start off with the education first. I, I love the educational like system in America. I just love how they t- they they teach you to think and not teach you to remember versus a lot of you know art here or the education here 
people teach you to just remember stuff and just throw it up during the exam times. But in America, it's just you can even question the teacher themselves. And I love that. And it, it gave me so much of who I am today because not, not just only the education, but also like the gay men in LA really helped me be who I am. Like my roommates would shave their legs. They would have nose jobs by the age of like 19. And I just, I just love how they don't apologize for who they are. And I think that's like, the rule of life is to lose the ability to give a fuck. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So did you did you have any openly gay people in your life growing up? Like um, either either like just as a kid or went you went to Shrewsbury, right? Yeah, I went to um, Shrewsbury. International school. Like so did you were there any out kids there? Any teachers no, that were no queer? I'm no, I was probably the only one. Like, um, I didn't know other gay, other gays growing up. No, not really. It was really weird, and 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 bullying is like a big issue for me too. And that's why I feel like I like to talk about it a little bit because it's it's like it really messes up a lot of people. And I've gone through that a lot, but it it's great because you bully me, I become a drag queen, and I'm gonna get you back. So it's like. <laughs> I've seen like people who bullied me come into a club and I get the mic and I'm just like, okay, now's my time, bitch. It's <laughs> okay, like, yeah. well, we're going to have to come back to that story. That's, <laughs> fucking, that's fantastic. But I mean, can you give us a sense of like what that bullying would be like? Like what was it, what was, what's one of those experiences that you can remember growing up getting bullied? Like, do you just, remember like one time? Oh like, God, one, a like, lot of times, like a knife in my face or like just getting beat up, you know, but it's, it's, it's crazy because kids are just not like, I feel like people don't take it seriously people just think like bullying is a small thing but like it's not the it's not the physical harm it's more like the the words that really stick to you and then you have to deal with it later and i feel like people should put more emphasis on the idea of bullying because um it is a serious issue and lots of like gay kids they do commit suicide after you know yeah very serious yeah yeah um, heavy shit i'm sorry yeah, no, brought no, you guys good. there good. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna run a, we're gonna yeah, run across good. topics yeah. we're gonna go okay. heavy we're gonna go light we'll get so Growing up, where did you find a chance to come across drag queens and drag culture? Um, it's funny because I, I, I have always been scared of drag queens myself, and I'm sure a lot of people are. Um, and in LA, I've seen some drag queens, but I didn't get it. I'm like, I didn't really understand it. But then there was a competition for like a Lady Gaga contest. Mm -hmm. Whoever dresses up the most like Lady Gaga would win um, a prize to go see her in concert in New York. Everything paid for, the flight, we get to ride around in limousines. And so I was like, holy shit, I got to do it. Yeah. So I just dressed up in drag the first time, went into a mall, shoot it. I've been a dancer before, so I just, the dancing is not hard. So I filmed it and then I won first place and I went there. And it's just the, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. It's like, like almost 200 people took photographs with me that day. Wow. Like nonstop. And I was like, if one person calls you a faggot, but the, the other nine out of 10 people just says, oh my God, you're fierce and you make people smile. Yeah. I think that's a great lesson in life. Yeah. So can you, can you like kind of paint a picture for us of like that first time? Like what, what did that, like what, did, what were you wearing? What did that feel like? Like were, I mean, were you freaked oh, out? What? I had a lot of hair in my face. That's the first thing. And a lot of sweat. <laughs> I looked horrible and I didn't shave my legs. So it wasn't a pretty sight, but it's just so liberating, you know, to, to just be another character and just not give a fuck about femininity or masculinity and just be who you want to be. It's just really, really, yeah, just like liberating. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, did you find yourself feeding off the audience? 
you always well the thing with drags you always have to feed off the audience unless it's not a lot of people and then you really have to just entertain yourself um <laughs> the first time that i did the the video i was in a mall so people were just shopping and i was just like right. roaming around dancing <laughs> so it wasn't much of an audience more like you know pestering people <laughs> yeah i don't think they were very entertained <laughs> so was that the birth of pangina oh for sure for sure because after i came back i thought you know i i, I just felt like i wanted to do drag more and more and even when i back then when i had a boyfriend we would go clubbing i would just dress up in drag and he would hate it he freaking hated it he was why like did he not do so it much? why did he hate it so much oh come on like i mean i understand gay men and they they love drag queens and stuff but they don't want to fucking date a drag queen you know what i mean it's like it's too much or like people think is he gonna go get like so many people ask me as a drag queen when are you gonna get your boobs done or when are you gonna cut off your penis i'm like no i love my penis way too much but the thing is like people don't get drag they think that i'm a transsexual that's totally a different thing like i do not feel like a woman i am a man who enjoys dressing up as a woman for a job for attention for alcohol for whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that relationship didn't last very long with that particular oh it was quite long actually it was two and a half years he's a politician small dick um but it's fine it's fine i'm not bitter about it very slow so yeah okay so that was the birth of pangina and you started doing drag can you tell us the story of how this character or persona oh great yeah Yeah. of course so the idea of pangina it's i love the the idea of pangea you know the supercontinent before the world breaks up into continents and how the world was just one and there was no separation and i think drag dancing and drinking brings people together the three d's drinking and dancing yeah three (laughs) things um it just really brings people together and i feel like it just makes people smile and it just cuts the bullshit of you know having education about art or not understanding art and it's just so simple and so accessible you know these three things are just so immediate and that's what i love about it yeah yeah and so the heels it heals people h-e-a-l-s and also i love wearing high heels so much like the higher the better the closer you are to heaven so um that's why pangina heels Mm. yeah and pan with a vagina okay (laughs) pangina yeah i think i read i read somewhere that you you referred to her as as i think it was something like very surreal and very american Mm. what what do you mean by each of those things like how is she a surreal character she is a person bitchy cunty (laughs) uh blonde bitch she's basically like a white girl yeah no she's a very californian white girl and i don't know why but like when i started doing drag she's just has always been a blonde girl Mm. and like i speak like a valley girl most of the time and it's annoying and most people want to stab me (laughs) but that's how she is and she's just a dumb ditzy blonde girl yeah how much of her how much of her like backstory have you worked out like do you know where she was like was she born in thailand or is she from california i think more no she is from california for sure she's a rich rich bitch and she <laughs> loves men um she the thing the funny thing with me is that it's a great question because i've never been asked that before and the thing with her is like she only lives during the night so it's more like a, a trance does that make tr- sense yeah yeah, yeah it's like sure, more like yeah. a trance because she only comes at night with a shitload of vodka and she'll come out so she only lives um 
I would say she's more like a nocturnal creature <laughs> that comes out during a trance and you pray and she comes out, but she only exists for a short period of time and then she goes back inside. <laughs> so she's a spirit. Yeah. She's a spirit. Oh my God. Super Thai spirit. Oh, <laughs> bring spirit. it back to Thailand. I love it. She's a spirit. Yeah. A demon spirit. An evil one. Yeah. Do you feel that, I mean, if she's that blonde American. Yes. In what way, when when you're on stage and when she's on stage, mm-hmm. in what way, like, does she read as Thai? Well, obviously she knows Thai. I think she's more like, um, basically she just makes fun of a lot of Thai culture. There's something I used, to, like, when, when I'm doing Penjina, I like to speak in a Nana accent. I don't know if you know what that nana. means, Nana accent, you know, like, the area where there's oh. lots of prostitutes. So she would just speak like... So what, know, does that, what does that sound like? Like, uh, me love you long time. Oh, oh. you meet the you want massage. Oh, we have ping pong show here. You know, like, I would just change my accent into like yeah. what I call prostitute Thai, which is what I love so much because I used to work in the clubs. <laughs> and I, just, like, I love my prostitutes. They're so nice to me. And like, <laughs> they would be the only one who tipped me. And like, I'm really? like, yeah, oh my God. I would be working in a club and like these fucking ballers would just come in and <laughs> not even one cent, never ever tip me. But it's always the prostitutes because they know the worth of money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kind-hearted prostitutes. Yeah, I know, I love yeah. them. And they're old too, like 50 year old. And like, I love talking to them outside. They're like, oh my God, I can't get into the club because it's expensive. Yeah, and it's fun. It's just like getting to know people's yeah. stories in yeah. a nightclub, in, in a nightlife. And it's weird. Yeah. Very surreal. Very like Mars. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. Has, uh, has Pangina ever talked about any of like, either like any of the Mars missions or has she talked at all about like, you know, the, the whales, you know, the, you, the objects coming from Mars. Like, is that, I mean, I, I would imagine that'd be pretty hard to sneak into a show, mm. but is that something that like she would ever t- tackle? Like she, she ever tackled any science well, topics? Pangina, like most lesbians love whales and <laughs> dolphins. So I think she's very scared with the fact that, these objects that are coming are they look like whales because we don't know if they're living or not that's the problem yeah. and what would happen if they mate with our whales in our <laughs> in our ocean <laughs> what's gonna happen i'm gonna be fucking scared yeah so both you and pangina are scared about that both yeah Pan we don't Pan want and... whales no. <laughs> no that's something that will be really scary for us yeah. um i'm curious if pangina's politics have ever gotten her in trouble Oh, oh yes, the the her the people who always seems to have a problem with me seems to be rich high so Thai bitches. Um, <laughs> so listen up, rich high so Thai bitches. If you ever come to Maggie's shoes, file a complaint at I don't give a fuck dot com. Um, Can you just for a second? Could you? Because some of our Maggie audience is going to be is going to be uh, from the U.S. or yes. Singapore yeah. or uh, the Maldives. Um, the Maldives. Yeah. Oh. So could um could you kind of like character? Characterize mm. a, a high so mm. a high so Thai bitch, right? Yes. So it's basically um, a girl who's born into wealth, who basically her whole aspiration in life is to get married to someone super rich and just um, use brand name stuff all the time. Basically, a bitch I want to kill. Um, <laughs> but she's just you know very privileged. Basically, the Paris Hilton of Thailand, mm. but not as smart. And they seem to have a problem with me cursing in Thai for some reason. Really? Yeah, oh my god. In English, I never have a problem. They always say, I can't take it. It's too rude. Wait, I come so to like, classy whoa. place. So how do you actually get, like, 
how do you get that feedback? Do they come up to you afterward? No, they or like, never they... dare because they know I would cut them. But they would <laughs> they only file a complaint later and I hear about it two weeks after because if they come to me, they know what's going to happen to them mm-hmm. because I'm a drag queen. I was just like, get a fucking sense of humor. It's, it's a nightclub. Like, I'm not right. saying this in the White House. I'm just saying it in a fucking club. <laughs> Wait, so I'm just fascinated by that. Wow. Yeah. Like, so what, what would, the, like, how would that actually, like... Well, I don't even know I'm where to begin. Bo- yeah. I just don't even know. Like, what would the complaint be about? Like, I came to this nightclub. I don't want to hear that kind of language. They basically. <laughs> the funny thing is that I, I work. I came in, to a drag show. I did yeah. not want to hear that kind of language. Yeah, it's crazy because, like, well, the place I work at is kind of you know classy. Like Maggie Shoes is well known. Yeah. Like, uh, as a place that um, lots of people with money come to. Sorry. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. A lot of glitter last night. Um, <laughs> So basically, they would complain about the fact that, oh, he's using foul language. And so, like, my boss came up to me, like, please only swear in English. Don't swear in Thai. And I, I found that super hypocritical. I just don't get it. I'm like, why can't I swear in a certain language? Wow. And another language is completely fine. So basically, she only complained that I should not swear in Thai. Wow. <laughs> and Dude. it's not only once. It's insane. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Weird. Hmm. But... Rich high school bitches don't like me. Yeah. <laughs> so that, like, after that happens, would you ever like actually comment on that during oh, the show? Oh yes. Like, like in the next the next show, like super entertained. Yes. <laughs> I got the mic and it was like, the next time you want to say something, say it to my face. Every that's how I start my show now. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, and I'm just like, if if uh, sometimes people do get offended, um, and I have to remind them of like. This is a drag show. Like, don't... Like, oh my god. You make uh, fine use of insult comedy. So, I mean, could you talk a little bit about how that works with a Thai audience? Like, does that seem, like, super transgressive and super, like, you're... You know, that's not the way a nice Thai boy or girl should be (laughs) behaving in general. Well, the thing is, um, something that I do differently and... When I insult people at the end, I have to always bring it back to me that I'm the joke. Like, like I'm making fun of you, but don't forget that I'm the butt of the joke. I'm a man in a dress, and and that's I think how I get away with it. Because a lot of the times I've seen when people try to do it, it comes off as being mean. Mm. And you have to always remember if you do it in a way that you're like, oh, girl, I'm just kidding, or I love you, or like if you make fun of someone and then you bring it back to you. And just like, oh, you're a fucking slut, but I'm, you know, much worse than you. I've sucked everyone else, you know? Like, then you make yourself relatable to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way you get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, yeah. is, that, is that true, like, in drag in general? Or does, or does that, I mean, I would just imagine that would operate very differently between, like, you know, in a sh- you're at a show in New York, you've mm-hmm. got an audience in New York, mm-hmm. and then an audience mm-hmm. here. I just, can't, I, just, I just can't help but think that, like, that's still just going to, even if you bring it back to yourself... Mm-hmm it's still going to come off differently. I don't know. Maybe that's just my, my misreading how, of time. How would it come up differently? A high soul lady, if you insult a high soul lady, even if you bring it back on yourself. Is oh, it, yeah. You well, know, is it, it possible it, to get mm, away with it? I don't think... Well, it depends on... Or do you need a certain person. kind of audience? Well, you need a fucking sense of humor. That's what you <laughs> need to have, right? I don't think everyone has that. So what are... I mean, what are the rules in a drag show? Like, I mean, in terms of like... PC, like what, like what are the bounds, or like what's the yeah, what's the like understood relationship between the performer and the audience in Thailand or in, I don't yeah, know, in Thailand or in general? Uh, how about both? Well, in general, number one, you don't ever 
fucking touch a drag queen. Rule number one. <laughs> like, there was one time, like, recently, one of my drag queen friend was on stage and someone touched her. And she was here? Just, um, in New York. Bob oh, yeah. the drag queen. Amazing. Super talented. Like, one of the best drag queens I've ever seen in my life. One drunk person just kept touching her and pulled her over. And she just had to say that, I'm sorry, I have to end the show. Like, you can't do this to me because it's... When drag queens are entertaining, they're in. A, they're trying to. They're concentrating and they're trying to make sure everything's perfect. It's art. Um, everything's calculated. Yes, there's a surprise element or there's moments when you can play off the audience that's spontaneous. But a lot of the times, don't fucking touch us. You know, like you don't. You don't do that. So rules of a drag queens: don't tip them with coins because that's not cute. <laughs> Please give us banknotes. Because one time, that's actually one of the worst experiences I've ever had. Someone gave me a coin, and out of God, I can't believe I'm telling this story. Um, out of just you know, like in Thai, in Thai culture, if you like put the coin in your tongue it means you're a ghost so i just wanted to play a joke on him so i put the coin on my tongue and i was like i'm a fucking ghost not funny but the crazy thing is that it slipped into my throat and then i suffocated during my show oh fuck and then it's a 10 baht coin so it's not a small coin it went inside i almost died like on stage i almost i swear to god i couldn't breathe and then it went down and then i went to the er after the show they couldn't find it they couldn't... I don't know where it went. I don't know where the coin Whoa. went. I, they x-rayed me. They were like, I don't see the coin. I'm like, I didn't take a poop. I mean, I didn't get fucked by anyone. I don't know where the coin is. I'm like, I didn't leave a tip with somebody, you know? Like, I don't know where it went. So, send my coin. Yeah. <laughs> guess you don't go, don't mess with the spirit level, I no. guess. Oh, yeah. oh, and that's one thing, too, in Thai culture that's different from, um, I guess, international drag. We pray to the spirits all the time before we do a show. What do you mean by that? We pray to the spirit of the place very seriously in every single venue. If you don't, accidents comes to you. Oh Lord, happens to me so many times. If you don't pray, like blood would just come out of you like stigmata style or like you would fall. Once you pray, nothing happens to you. It's really crazy. In Thai, we believe in the spirit of the place. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the, what do you offer? Or what do you what do you offer and what do you ask? Usually, I don't know for some reason, like just red syrup juice. You see like the before. Fanta, yeah, the like the Fanta. Fanta. I don't know why, but they do that. And then flower garlands, but you have to always pray and say, "Oh, if I offend you, because drag queens, you know, we we do a lot of crazy shit." And so you have to say, "If I offend you, I'm sorry. We just want to be here to work." You know? Hmm. Is there a shrine inside the club? Most of the places, we yeah. there's always a shrine. But me and my girls, all of my girls, we believe in it heavily. Like, and different spirits of different location are, um, how do you say, the level of anger is different in different places. Give us, give us two examples. Ones where, where's there a mellow and where's there an um, intense? Okay, so the place where I work at Stranger Bar, the spirit is a girl, so she would just walk around sometimes and she'll be seen. Um, I haven't seen her, but she's. I would say nicer to me like I haven't found anything crazy but she'll warn me sometimes like the thing is like you know I studied in LA like I usually don't believe in this shit until it happens to you and then you're like holy shit like I would just like be doing a show and then I have no cuts but blood would just come out I'm just like okay time to pray (laughs) or like but at Maggie's shoes the spirit there is crazy strong like scary strong like when one of my showgirls did a show and she was doing the bang bang song by Nicki Minaj and Jesse J and she was dancing and then I don't know how she, what happened to her but like she hit her head on a champagne glass 
Oh. <laughs> just like dripping with blood. So went to the ER too. Had she not done her due diligence before? No, Had she not, I, okay. that's a problem. Well, she, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wow, that's intense. Only in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us about how drag culture and drag performances are understood? Or what do Thai people think of drag shows and people that dress in drag? Let's start off with saying that there's no word of drag mm. that translates to Thai. You know the word drag queen? That doesn't exist in the Thai language. Mm. The closest thing that comes when, when I tell people what I am in Thai, it's showgirl. Mm. But I'm not necessarily, like, I'm, you, know, you know, it's not a yeah. drag queen. So when, when you say the word showgirl, it puts you in the category of transsexuals in Thailand, which is very famous here. You know, what, transsexuals who become showgirls. Mm. We're very famous for, like, Miss Tiffany or, mm. you know, that circuit. And it's very different because I, I, I think drag is more confrontational. It's a man dresses up as a woman. It's not a transsexual doing a show. Mm. So people don't really understand why... I'm masculine, and I'm not saying I'm masculine, but I'm more masculine than a lot of people, most of my ex-boyfriends. And they're more, you know, why a masculine guy would dress up as a woman. They don't get it. So I think a lot of people have a problem with the notion of masculinity versus femininity. Why would you sacrifice your masculinity for femininity? Because a lot of the time people do view, like, view femininity as something as weak and negative. Even in the gay culture as well. And I want to... I love drag because it empowers that mm. femininity as strength. That's really interesting. So the idea that you would take on, will you know, willfully and intentionally mm. something that would be perceived as a weakness yes. is sort of hard to... For some people, rather head around, heads around. Yeah. It, it's okay. a, it becomes a problem for them because they'd rather see... You know, like, and in Thailand, it's... Transsexuals are very well... Like, very accepted in Thai culture. And they call it the... Um, Woman type 2. Sabapetal. So basically, don't have a problem about it. But if it's a, a man dresses up as a woman, they seem to have more of a problem with it. Because they don't understand it. And it's, it's very new. I would say it's quite new in Thai culture. Could, for, our, for our non-Thai listeners uh, in, the, in the Maldives, could you explain a little bit the, the Thai word getoy and the, yes. and the concept of getoy and, and how that does or does not relate in any way to what you do or how you are... Or I guess... Not maybe what you do, but how you're perceived. Mm. I mean, when I'm in drag, people will call me Katoy as well. Katoy is like a big freaking umbrella. Um, what is it? What does it grab? It's an umbrella. Katoy is just basically anything that's. For me, my translation would be like anything cuckoo uh, <laughs> and feminine. Okay. I would just call it that because basically, if you're cuckoo and you're feminine, then Katoy is just like, oh my god, it's it's not it's not we wouldn't even it's not even. It's not even gay. It's it's just mm. like transsexuals, drag queens, any that's why I say anything cuckoo and feminine. Mm. Because it's so big. Yeah, there's no word for it actually. Yeah. Is it a value neutral term in Thai or is it loaded? Like is it mm. Well, it's is not it a as slur? loaded as money boy, but you know, money it's not boy. as loaded as money boy, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's that that word is loaded. Like like transsexuals hate that word. When I've never heard that you Lady Boy, I'm sorry, not yeah, Money no, I was, Boy. I was, like, boy. I was like, that's a new, uh, that's a new word. Lady Boy, not Money Boy. I'm sorry, Lady Boy. No, that's okay. that's just you're you're a, it's a new thing you're working on okay. being a Money Boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta make a living. Wait, so so back back us up for a second. So mm. it's not so Gatoy is not loaded or negative the way Lady Boy is. I am a thousand percent sure okay. that the word Gatoy is just 
a way that you describe a person. Okay. And it's not loaded in any way, but it's how you say it. Like if if a person says "katoy," versus <laughs> you know, of right. course, like, gotcha. okay, you know. <laughs> but wh- how about "lady boy"? Where did that word come from, or why? And why is that? Why is that negative? It's negative. I can understand why it might be, but what? But how do you understand it? I mean, let's just look at the word itself, lady, boy. That's just, you know, it's just it's just pointing out that someone is not something they are. You know what I mean? It's just a half-half. So, okay. but but yeah. this word, in my opinion, that it's very loaded because it does originate in the idea of most lady boys being a sex worker. Okay. Yeah, like they sell themselves like a lady bar, you know. So Mm. most people nowadays, if they're transsexuals or trans, they love the word trans the most. Mm -hmm. Trans, just no sexual or no. Even in like they'll use that English word in in Thai, like they'll use trans or they'll use. They would use the word trans. One thing that I, I picked up somewhere and I wondered if you could could talk about is the suffix ka or ka. Yes. How do those function either within within the gay community or within the Gatoy community? Mm. Um, I mean, in your emails, you use ka. Yeah. So I, I picked up on that. And could you explain it actually? Could you okay. explain for like non for non ties yeah, what how those? Yeah. So basically, at the end of sentences, because we're Asian, we have to make it nicer to end a sentence. It's basically a period of a sentence. And and we say the word ka for a girl to make it more polite. Or krap after a sentence, like a period, to make it more polite for a male version. So a girl would say, if we say thank you, it would be kop kun ka. For a male version, it would be kop kun krap. I mean, I've seen um, lots of butch dykes that would use the word crap as well or you know super queer super gay men who would use ka um in katoya culture they just use ka all the time Mm -hmm. and but even straight men sometimes say ka to their girlfriends like all like ka and it's very cute like you know they just talk to the girlfriend it's like a softening sort of like a like or like a like an intimate it's more like like an intimate thing yeah. yeah so uh Let's. I want to switch gears a little bit to talk yeah. about art, yeah. capital A R T. So you, you before coming, before coming back to Thailand and becoming a performing artist full time, you studied art at UCLA. Yes. What was your medium then, and did you, when you came back, like were you kind of working full throttle on pursuing that art? Yes. Well, when I came back, you know, my mom just really wanted me to be an artist, like because it's more well respected. So I came back and I was a curator for a while. I curated at H Gallery and at Eat Me. Mm-hmm. My my goal in life was to have art exhibitions and be showcased in a museum. And I actually got that in BACC. Like my medium was sculpture. I did a lot I deal a lot with queer issues and I would create my own world and, and these little characters. Can you describe one of them for like yeah. one of your favorite one of your favorite pieces? Well the the ones that I called rears, there's like my favorite. It's like a cross between a rabbit and a deer. And so I would make like <laughs> the stories of how they come and I'll make sculptures of how they are and basically they are these characters in a world where they police the world and they have this Mariah Carey scream that knocks out straight people when they try to bully gay people. (laughs) So I just, crazy. Like, this just have, like, all these stories in my mind. And my favorite thing is to create a world and allow people to walk into it, Hmm. you know? And so that was one of the exhibition. And the other one, I made a Lady Gaga sculpture that with water coming out of her tits. And, you know, it's, it's fun. But then I kind of 
got super turned off by art for some reason and really? I how rebelled that, about it. How yeah. did that happen? Oh wow, it's crazy. You know, being in that high art culture, you need a certain level of education or not need, but people come to it a lot of the time they're fucking pretentious. Oh. I cannot stand those people who come and just like blah 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 me 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 like look at me, I'm rich but I never pay for shit. I'm and it's <laughs> I just got so turned off by the whole kiss ass culture. Like you have to kiss this person's ass, you have to suck this person's dick, you have to la 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 la. And I'm just like over it. And I just love how when I see drag, it's so immediate and it's so simple. And it, within five minutes, you make someone happy like that. And uh, you make them yeah. smile and they forget the problems in their lives. And within that moment, you're giving kindness to somebody. And I feel like that's happiness for me because I'm giving them happiness without trying to understand something so beyond or something so unaccessible. When you became decided to become a performing artist, did you notice that there was less of that pretension? Were there still people like that out there? The same people you came across in the fine arts community? A lot of people view working in, in the nightlife or the night circuit as something as, you know, lower class or um, there is a certain perceived notion that um, if you're a showgirl, you work for a night, it's in Thai culture, we, we, we said um, you sell yourself in a way or like you're prostituting your own um, talents or, you know. Yeah. So there is that kind of stigma that comes with it. Yeah, but no, those motherfuckers don't come to my show. <laughs> if they did, I wouldn't know. Like, would you say that that people don't regard drag as being an art here? Like, is it is it sort of your average Thai, if they can't, you know, one of those high so ladies uh, comes to your comes Bitches. to your show? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, comes to your show, sees that would that they would not register that as art. I think they see it as a social menace. <laughs> a social menace? Yes, a social menace. <laughs> Basically, we're trying to stir up trouble and take their men and molest them and basically rape their children. Like, that's how they see us. But that's why, you know, for me, like, and I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I can say for a fact that what I try to do in Thailand is to not do just, like, basically fucking ballads. I try to treat it as art. Like I did, you know, Wicked. I paint my whole self green. My ears are still green from it. And go all the fucking way mm -hmm. and make it art. Mm -hmm. You know, you can treat your profession either with respect, which is what I'm trying to do. Like, for example, when I did Titanic, I stole a fucking <laughs> life vest from Thai Airways. They did not know, but now they do. <laughs> and, you know, just go all the way with it. And... That's how I try to make drag, you know, my art. Can you can you think of like your favorite, one of your favorite performances mm -hmm. that you've done just in terms of like how it made you feel or maybe like where you felt like you'd kind of pushed your art for, just for yourself, mm. like kind of farthest or into like the most interesting place? Do you remember like I a mean, particular time, like a particular night? I would say just, just top of my head, I, I do love that Titanic performance. I did My Heart Will Go On and I came out drenched in water completely like as if i just got out of the water oh. my mouth was completely like like pale and i just looked like i just you know like a drowned victim and i had that life vest on later and then i pulled it and then it fucking come up and i was the audience just like screamed because no, and the funny thing is that it actually when it comes up if you're not in water it actually really <laughs> 
like clothes in on your throat. <laughs> no. So I was like, oh my god, I can't get it out. So luckily, I had a Thai Airways guest who was a uh, one of the <laughs> one of the workers for the store. Yeah. You know, so he was like, oh, there's a little button. I was like, thank God. Otherwise, I would have died. Thank you. So that was one of my favorites, and then. <laughs> I, I love doing Amy Winehouse. Mm. Yeah. Talk about her a little bit and what it's like oh, to be I here. I love her. I'm so drawn to divas of destruction. Whitney Houston or like, you know, and I, I'm sure lots of gay people love the idea that if you're born with so much talent and you're so beautiful, yet you're destructive to your own self. And it just humanizes them in a way. And with Amy, I just love her because when I do her show, I would come out and do every type of drug possible on stage and just give people like... <laughs> Tylenol and just like <laughs> paracetamol and it's just fun for me because people just laugh and it's not taking it too seriously and people sometimes are like oh my god I'm so offended I'm just like if I don't love her I wouldn't do her you know and <laughs> you know like I think that's how gay people do a tribute is that if you like someone you make fun of them you know yeah you, you said in another interview that at some point you said I realized the art I wanted to do was art on my own body mm. um can you just talk about that for a second of like what that feels like? I mean, the difference between sculpting for you, just like putting all the, putting all of like the cultural, mm. social stuff aside, just like what's the difference for you between like working hard on making a sculpture and like that artistic act, and mm. then like when you're preparing yourself or when you're in the middle of a performance on stage? Well, if you think of you know drag for me, it's become the complete answer to what I want as an art form because. Before, I used to draw on paper or paint on paper. Now, I draw and paint on my face, and I do sculpture on my hair, and I get to style myself. It's basically a living art that goes into the world and challenges the world, and that's fun and exciting for me because every single day, it can be something new. Um, and it lives, and it breathes, and it's immediate, and it's just tactile, you know? Mm. Um, so you, um, I, got to see, I got to see you in uh, the Lisbon Traviata yes. that you did at the Culture Collective, yes. which, was, which was an awesome show. Um, and I just want to talk to you a little bit about that. The, could you tell us a little bit about your, about your character, Mendy? Mm. Um, and maybe just a little bit about the process of kind of getting inside of her uh, mm. and understanding who she was in that play. Well, um, Mendy... It's a character that basically is very worldly and very sophisticated, you know, like very um, just a, an entrepreneur kind of character. And I am so not that. I'm just like a trashy, crazy <laughs> pop culture bitch. And um, I have to really hold back to make her shine. Like I really had to study her because I've never acted before in unless I tell my boyfriend he's good at sex, then I've never acted before, you know? So, um, she, you know, the process of doing live theater is so scary. Oh my God, shit would be happening and you don't know what would happen. Like, the lights would go off and like, I had to just wing it. It's like- That was the show that I saw. Oh my God, was the... it that one? <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> I got in so, so much trouble, did you know? With, with Lonnie? Yeah! Because the light went off and then I didn't know what happened. I was like, girl, I didn't pay the light bill this month. I thought it was funny. He didn't thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Like, I was like, shit, I didn't pay the light bills again. And then afterwards, we had a long talk. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know what to do. 
So, so that's real. I mean, I thought it was funny, but um, I appreciate. I, I mean, Lonnie, Lonnie, it's a great damn play, but I, I thought it was funny um, because it was, you know, it's an awkward moment. So you're, holy you're, shit, you're, you're, you think? <laughs> oh my god, I thought it was gonna die. Like the lights went up. I just, oh my god. But why? Why is it so scary? Why is it so different from performing? Well, number one, you have to remember 60 pages oh, yeah. of dialogue. It's I'm very heavy with dialogue. I never thought I would be able to do it, but Lonnie is so great and his process. And I was able to remember the lines, surprisingly, all of it. And um, it's scary because when you do drag, that character exists less than five minutes. And what do you mean? The character that you're going to play, for example, if I do Titanic or a character like or Wicked, uh, that character only exists for the lip sync period. For that, when mm. the song starts and the song ends. In live theater, for an hour or two, that character has to be whole and has to be everything that she does, everything that she says, everything is intentional. It's a three-dimensional character and it's harder because mm. she has to live for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that production, I've never, I've never read it, so I, do, I didn't actually have a reference point. Would you, would you identify her as a drag queen or would you identify her as a, as a cross-dressing Cross-dressing. Yeah. Cross-dressing. Yeah. The thing with cross-dressing is you don't necessarily have to be gay to mm. be a cross-dresser. You can be a man with a wife and you can cross-dress. The idea of cross-dressing is just you just want to dress up in women's clothes, mm-hmm. regardless of how you feel. Um, and a drag queen is just a man who dresses up as a woman for a job, for money, for entertainment. But the thing is, like, when, with drag queens, if they call someone, oh, you're such a fucking cross-dresser, it means, like, it's an insult because cross-dressers oh. are not professional. Mm. I see. So it's yeah. a professional It's a professional. Take it's down. a professional term, yeah. <laughs> That's the difference. So what do you think, or what was the feedback you got from, from Thai people that saw the play? It's a very gay play, right? I mean, it's oh, like... Oh, it, my God, you think? Um, yeah. So how is that play received? I mean, how is it... Was it hard for people to wrap their heads around? Did it seem like controversial? Um, controversial, yes. Because, I mean, I don't think Thai, the Thai audience is going to get like um, uh, basically live theater that deals with the subjectivity of it being like super gay and gay politics this heavily. And that's why I'm, I'm so happy that it got nominated and won for the best theater play this year by the... Um, the group the fancy that <laughs> didn't tell us that we were nominated until we won it, and so we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven, the, the guy who played um, the main character, actually won the best actor. I got nominated, but I got robbed. But <laughs> yeah, he, he won for the best actor. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it, it was controversial because of the subject matter, but it wasn't. Mm. But would it? Be, I mean, was it perceived as being offensively controversial, no. or just, or just, just out of the ordinary? Mm, just out of the ordinary more so yeah. but it was funny because there's a scene when the guy comes out naked um a little bit naked yeah, yeah a little bit naked and so a lot of people were like oh my god you know excited about that i mean they all were super excited about it i'm like girl you better shave but yeah i don't think people see a lot of naked asses in live theater here no, probably, I think I think it's not the not. Uh, yeah, it's not. The- <laughs> so you're an actor, you're a fine artist, mm-hmm. um, uh, you're also a dancer, mm. and you teach workshops on whacking. Yes. So I had never heard of whacking before. Oh, okay. Could you explain of what course. whacking is? I mean, people say I'm like the ambassador of whacking in oh. Thailand. I've 
brought it in like basically because well let's start in the beginning where what whacking is um whacking is a a dance style originated in the 70s during the disco era in los angeles and it's an underground gay dance that originated within um black and latino culture and it's been lost after during the 70s due to the AIDS epidemic you know and so a lot of the originators who did it just basically passed away so the dance has been lost and it's had a resurgence again due to you know many prolific you know people dancers like tyrone proctor lock princess locker from so you think you can dance who's my teacher so i just fell in love with this dance because this dance is Basically, these gay men were in the gay clubs and they look at drag queens, lip sync and use their hands and they made it into a dance. And it's just a dance that talks so much about our people and the idea of I want to bring it back being a drag queen who does whacking. So it becomes full circle. And it's just a dance style that embraces who you are. It's a performance dance. It's you know, it you can be whoever because I used to do hip hop before and I hate when people say, Oh my god, you have a gay face. This is my face. What am I gonna do? So gay face. gay face. When I'm doing hip hop I have to be manly. Oh. And people are like, Oh my god, you're doing gay face again. I'm like, what the fuck? It is my face. Well like what do you want me to do? So with whacking it just it embraces who you are, whatever you want to be, masculine, feminine, it's all good. That's why I kind of strayed to do whacking more. Could you describe whacking? Whacking is basically um, when a person catches the music and make you see the different um, sounds within the music using their hands and gestures and their fabulousness. People would say it's similar, if they don't understand, they would say similar to voguing. Okay. I don't think so, but a lot of people do. Okay. There's similarities within the lines and the arms mm. but whacking comes before voguing mm. but not a lot of people know about it what have you noticed about like young gay people what i do i'm so thankful that you know i have a following and the, the gays that come to the club they come back because i always try to do something new and different and so they it's really nice to you know for them to come but i do want to comment on the fact that i feel like a lot of the times the gays that you know, in Thailand, just have it too fucking easy, man. They have it too easy. What do you mean? They don't even know the... I mean, I'm not putting them down, but I'm like, I wish they knew the history of our people. Mm. Like, you know, how we fought so much to get here. Like, the Stonewall Riot. Have they ever heard about that revolution of our people? I'm sure most of them don't even know. And the fact that they can go into a gay club and dance and be who they are, mm. that's fucking a privilege it shouldn't be a privilege but yeah. it is a privilege for the fact that they can do it now back then during the era of whacking you would get shot if you yeah. were gay and that's why those people went into the gay clubs because it's dark and they can dance and be who they are mm-hmm. but for, I, it's just, it just pisses me off sometimes when i see gay people just like having the time of their lives flashing it in front of people and i'm just like you should know that it is, you know, for us to be able to do what we do now, it's a history and just say, you know, like, just mm. know who made that happen for yeah. us. Like, it was a drag queen who put a brick in a purse and hit the cops in the stone wall. Yeah. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, yes, it was. Huh. So it's, I don't think a lot of people know our culture. Yeah. Do you ever feel like your role as a performer is try to, is to kind of, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm asking this out of because I have been very anxious about current events recently. Mm. And do you ever feel like it's your job as a performer to kind of like make people forget about their problems? Like make people kind of like forget about real life and kind of bring them into kind of a fantasy world, if only for a little while? Or mm. do you feel like actually it's the opposite? You kind of like feel like you're trying to like actually kind of point out 
certain mm. you know certain things about real life that people ignore. I think in order to find out more things about real life, I invite them into a surreal world, and that's how mm. they can get something from it from the fantasy. And I'm sure a lot of people, like for example, they do mushrooms is because they get reality from the the the, the trance that they're in yeah. or the you know, being so far away from reality that you get reality. Right. Like ayahuasca, I've never done it, but people are like, oh my God, I found so much reality. And I'm sure that's how people get from my show, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said yourself, I mean, you said earlier that like, it's kind of like a trance. Yeah. To, to put yourself in that space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess I just need a little bit more surreality. Maybe that'll bring me down. A, I mean, we, I guess we just need to come to your shows. Some yeah, rooms, yeah, please do. A oh, shrew. Hello. <laughs> We're, we want to let you go in a second. Donald, do you have any last questions? I mean, I think we've we've oh, taken no. you all yeah. over the map here. And, and uh, thank you so much for, for chatting oh, with us. For How me. can, uh, uh, if people want to know more about you or they want to find mm-hmm. you online or they want to come out and see you, yes. say a little bit about, about how they can find well, you. Well, I work Monday, Wednesday, Fridays um, at Stranger Bar in Silom Soy 4 and um, Maggie Shoes on Sunday nights and starting next month, Sing Sing on Tuesdays as well. But basically, you can just... Um, visit Facebook and Pangina Heels or my website, PanginaHeels.com. Yeah, just come out and say hi. I mean, I have people from America who just, you know, was like, oh, I'm in town. I love drag queens. I want to come see. And yeah, just come have a good time with us. I'll buy you a drink. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fam. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so really much. Appreciate being here. Thank Thanks you. so much. So one of the things that stood out to me in this interview um, note in an earlier interview in the previous episode, he said he didn't witness the kind of bullying that you might commonly see in America and the yeah. United States. Yeah. But Pan has. Pan talks about having a person put a knife to his throat. Yeah. Um, so I found that kind of strange. Two young queer men, both growing up in Thailand, one has a completely different experience than the other. Mm-hmm. And I just find that kind of fascinating, like very extreme differences. Yeah. I, I was struck by that as well. And I, I I did think about how Pan more emphasized, though, how much of an outsider he felt like he was mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid. I don't know exactly. I mean, he, he wasn't good at school. He I guess he said he was overweight, I guess mm-hmm. he said. Um, and, and so you know, maybe just the being queer on top of that was the icing on the cake in terms of like the the, the, too many, you know, and not that kids necessarily beat up other kids for not being good at math. But I wonder about how though, I think I was struck by how Pan definitely saw art and then eventually becoming a drag queen as, as his way of kind of taking, of taking that, taking Mm -hmm. that sort of outsider status and taking that unhappiness and kind of channeling it. But then I loved how he also said like channeling it and then letting it go. Yeah, and releasing it yeah. and 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 again i didn't we didn't necessarily ask note necessarily about that but i don't i didn't get the sense that necessarily he channels he was channeling some sort of trauma or some sort of right. outsider status in that same sort of way as he was creating his art though maybe if we interviewed him about it he would he would say mm. that he was but i like that so yeah. he conjures these emotions and lets it go yeah just and i like that he also calls pangina a spirit yeah a, no that was a demon spirit that yeah. comes at night yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i mean he was talking about a different context but also yeah. how pangina and i guess I suppose this get a little complex and i wish i had asked him about it mm-hmm. but there are a number of presences on stage right because yeah. it's he's 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 pan yeah. being pangina 
And then he is taking on these different roles for different songs, yeah. right? He's, he's he's taking on these different identities, right? There uh, that are, that are that are brief, right? So, so it's, it's multi yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like very it's like inception, yeah. <laughs> and it also just, I mean, it just it was great getting his sort of sense of how he understood Pangina and her background and how American she was and how it was very clear. <laughs> Though I, I'm a little. Um, and perhaps this was just his shifty uh, sense of her. It's at a certain point, I think he said that she really loves men. That at another <laughs> yeah. moment, he did suggest uh, when he's talking about mm. the the fear of Pangina's fear fear of the objects coming toward uh, Earth, uh, yeah. talking about how she was a lesbian and therefore loved whales and dolphins. So oh, I'm not maybe oh, you know yeah. maybe there's a little you know a little shifty yeah, more uh, than one Pangina. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, d- I just did. Lo- I, I mean, I loved that everything we were talking about about those different those different personas and the different way- ways that that those personas also challenge the audience. We didn't really get into politics uh, with him. I mean, there were certain moments where he acknowledged that he was being politically incorrect, and there were certain moments where he talked about like how high so Thai people don't like him swearing in Thai. Yeah, that was um, very fascinating, which was really yeah. interesting. No, um, don't mind him swearing in English, but yeah, but swearing yeah. in Thai, the sense of propriety. Yeah, just... exactly. And then, uh, but then there was this this when he was talking about just the way he was using language, like when he was talking about how young gay people in Thailand, as he said it, like they don't know the history of our people, our people, you know, and, and, and how he was, it seems like he was very much honoring gay history and, and trying to keep this lost gay dance from the pre-AIDS epidemic uh, going th- uh, through his, you know, his, his work with whacking, you know, referring to our culture and, and uh, gay culture. And I just think that it's very interesting to hear somebody say, talk that way in a very specific and totally understandable, I totally appreciate it. I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about it. But in a, in a in a country where there does seem to be very different uh, senses of who is what we means, yes, right? Yeah. You know, like and and I don't necessarily, yeah, as you said, like I don't necessarily think that that being gay is like fully incorporated into a normative Thai identity, right? right? It's not maybe a little more tolerated right. than it is in in the U.S. Well, we had an awesome time interviewing Pan uh, at Rock Academy and uh, thank you for giving us so much of his time you can find links to his work on our website poetinbangkok.com where you can also find links to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook if you like the podcast uh, please give us a five star review and comment on iTunes it's super helpful in helping us getting the word out to new listeners and Of course, you have to have something to listen to uh, as the sky uh, prepares to fall. So why not listen to us, that five-star thing that you just ranked. If you like what we're doing here and want to support us, uh, go to patreon.com slash poetinbangkok or follow the link from our website. Even a few bucks per episode will help us pay our expenses and help us uh, buy uh, extra water and shotguns and uh, preparedness, like textured vegetable protein, you know, just lots of, you know, um, and maybe even let us do a second season if the sky doesn't fall. And also, if you give a few more bucks uh, every episode, you can get your T-shirt with Donald and Colin on Mars, drawn by Kathy McLeod. And for an even larger donation, we'll bring you on the show to talk to us about anything you want, really. Thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and has written nice things to us. All those that have supported us on Patreon, we appreciate it. Thanks to Anna and Pete, Patrick and Julia for their support. 
and to Isotope for the great sound editing software. Thanks to Martin Pavlinik and his band Reports for opening theme music. And thanks to the band Air for additional music on today's podcast. And thanks again to everyone at Rockademy and the Freeze Green Club. Tell your friends about us, whether they are into fine art or poetry, music or theater, or just quirky podcasts in the era of Missions to Mars. And whether you live in Bangkok or Accra, Buenos Aires or Charleston, Mexico City or Rotterdam, we hope you'll keep listening to what we get up to here on Poet in Bangkok. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Thanks.